Welcome to episode number 37 of The Cubic Report. We're glad that you could join us today. Our guest today is Andy Lee again, who is partner and quality leader for tax practices in the U.S. with Ernst & Young, one of the big four accounting firms in the world. In a recent podcast, he gave us insights and advice on how to deal with troubling economic news. And that was back three or four months ago, involving inflation, higher interest rates, potentially increased layoffs. But now we are coming to a new year, 2023, is staring at us. And I would like to have Andy be able to talk to us about some things that we might consider for health. Because this is a time of year when we like to take a fresh look at the future. We like to make New Year's resolutions regarding health, habits, finance, all that type of thing. So Andy, I'd like to talk about money, wealth, protection of wealth. People have heard you on this podcast and have been asking for more. So we'd like to hear from you. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Vic. Good to be here with you again. What are some things that we need to really seriously look at, very straightforward things for the coming year? Yeah, sure. I'll give you a few thoughts, and I should probably give a um, just a brief disclaimer here at the beginning that I'm not an investment professional, and I'm not here to provide investment advice, uh, but I'm happy to share just some of my own personal views and how um, I've been approaching things in my life and seeing other people who've been um, successful in managing their assets um, do it. So, um, you know, as I, I look forward to any new year, any period of time where people um, want to sort of refresh things, I think it, it's good on a periodic, periodic basis to look across your financial landscape and just reassess. It doesn't take a genius to know that life changes from year to year, even from month to month sometimes, and our financial goals and needs change as a result of that. Uh, certainly the economic times we're in um, are, are one element that changes, but family situation as well, where we're at. Are we saving for retirement? Are we nearing retirement? Perhaps we're preparing for the purchase of a first home. Perhaps we're um, married and have young children and need to keep a college fund uh, moving forward in, in order to help uh, meet education expenses 5, 10, 15 years uh, in the future. All of these things need to be reassessed and considered in light of the external environment, what's going on in the economy outside, and then internally, what the needs are, what's changed. And so I think um, refreshing this type of thing on an annual basis, taking a look at everything and making sure things are still set right is is always a good idea. Yes, and perhaps it's a beginning of a new year or new fiscal year in some companies, uh, a time to clear out old files, the time to create new folders a time for us to get some advice of what to do. And one area that I'd like to hear, in fact, it may not be the first area, but there are people who are concerned about the future financially. And perhaps someplace in what we talk about today is to talk about some defensive positions that people may make regarding finances. Sure. You know, if you think about defensive positions, maybe let, let's, let's back up just um, one step and, and think about this kind of top-down way I, I like to think about it. And the first is to, to understand yourself and what level of risk you can handle without without sort of emotionally going to pieces. And I think one of the best pieces of advice I saw um, about investing was use the, the sleeping at night test 
And if you're not able to sleep well at night, then you've probably invested in, in a way that's too risky for you personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think so, like, like so much of life, just knowing yourself and understanding yourself is incredibly important. You know, I think even of my dad, he was uh, um, an engineer, uh, worked for AT&T way back uh, in the 1970s, early 80s, when AT&T was getting um, broken up into multiple companies. Uh, as an engineer at Western Electric, like everyone else at AT&T, when, when the company broke up, all the employees were given stock in the in the whatever seven or eight resulting companies that that came out of that divestiture and i remember my dad when that first happened was just i mean he was very nervous about it and he was watching the the stock quotes every day in the newspaper he was tuning into investment shows trying to figure out what in the world was going on and eventually he just sort of came to peace with it hit everything in a drawer and, and, and let it ride for a number of years, which probably was the best decision he could have made. But, you know, I saw that firsthand in terms of how it just really made him a nervous wreck for a period of time um, mm-hmm. after that happened. And, you know, that that's not the way any of us want to or, or should live. So we, we got to understand ourselves first. Of course, at, uh, at different levels of, of your life and employed life, you know, at first you basically can do not much more than save have savings, but then you reach out to some a little bit more creative ways with mutual funds and that type of thing, and people start you know advancing that way. And um, perhaps you could give us a little bit of a story about how a person ought to divide their assets or yeah, and it, you know maybe let me continue on this idea first of of knowing yourself for a minute because I think the other important thing is to understand how you yourself make decisions. Are you prone to making emotional decisions? Are you good at making less less emotional decisions based on rules or um, limits that you've set out there for yourselves? Because that becomes really important. I've seen it. I've seen it myself as I've invested in certain things, and I've said, okay, if I bought at X, I'm going to sell at Y, and it gets to price Y, and I say, oh, this thing is really going to be good. I'm going to keep waiting because I think it's going to go up higher. And more times than not, um, when I've done that, it's it's ended up going back down, and I mm-hmm. sell it for less than I thought I was going to. So that that discipline in terms of how emotionally based are you in, in managing your money is important to know because it's going to drive you. Number one, should you be the one actively investing your money or should you have somebody else, a third party who's not going to be as emotionally attached to it, doing it for you? I think that's a question that everyone has to ask. If you're not, not in the right emotional spot or have the right decision-making ability to do it, then you really shouldn't. And it's worth spending some money on whether it's a stockbroker or another investment manager, mm-hmm. uh, do that for you. The other thing I'll say, talking to our fellow guys out there, I have seen this in multiple situations where somebody's wife is a whole lot better oriented to managing the money than the man of the house is. Just recognize that you've got a fantastic asset. If you have a wife who is gifted in this way, can do a good job of it and let her do it and don't get in the way. Um, I, I think it's really important to just stand back and make that dispassionate assessment of mm-hmm. what ability do I have? What ability does my spouse have? What other uh, availability do we have of trusted people who can help us to manage our money? Because this is a lifelong thing. And you know you can cause yourself a huge amount of shipwreck by making bad financial decisions. Mm-hmm. You mentioned about not being emotional. I know that at one seminar it was told, you may love your stock. You may love the company, you know, one of the big names out there. 
but it doesn't love you. <laughs> it, it, it'll drop you in a split second, you know, for, for its purposes. So, so if we go from there, you know, when I think about it and starting off early on to, to farther down the line, you know, one, one thing that pretty much all investment professionals will talk about is what they call portfolio allocation. What that means is that however much money you have, whether it's a little or a lot, it, it basically breaks down into different categories of investments. Um, there's a certain amount of money that you need in the short term. I think every financial person that I've seen, personal financial planner, will always recommend that we have something like three to six months of expenses in readily available funds, which might mean a money market fund, it might mean short-term treasuries, something that has very little volatility so that if you need to access that money in a short time period, you can without worrying that you're potentially selling something at a loss because you're in some bad economic times or the stock market has taken a downturn. So that's that's the first tranche that you see everybody talk about. And, and that's really there for a defensive position. So if you lose your job, if you have health issues, if you have something catastrophic happen to your home, if you get in a car accident, you've got money available, usually equal to three to six months of your expenses, where you can cover an expense like that without having to worry about taking a financial loss uh, because of the stock market or or selling something that you don't want to or can't afford to sell at a period. Okay, Andy, so if let's give an example here. Somebody who makes $50,000 a year, what should they actually have, $25,000 in cash? Or what should they have taking that yes, figure? Yes, I think about it in terms of what their expenses are. So let's say, let's say that person has expenses for rent, uh, for food, for gas, uh, maybe for car payments and utilities. I'm just making up a number. Let's say that number is $1,500 a month mm -hmm. of expenses. So regardless of how much they earn, that's how much they need to continue to pay every month just to maintain their life. So in your example, somebody earning $50,000, I'll just make up a number. Let's assume they're spending $1,500 a month for rent or house payments, food, utilities, uh, gas, uh, any other necessities that come into play, car insurance, et cetera. So let's say that's $1,500 a month of expenses. Um, the rule of thumb would say three months worth of that is $4,500. Six months of it is $9,000. So typically people I would see would recommend that a person like that has somewhere in the $4,500 to $9,000 worth of money that's kept in a very conservative place. Again, cash, a money market fund, maybe short-term treasuries, uh, where the price of it uh, does not vary much from day to day. And you can rely on if you need that money, it's going to be worth you know the amount of money that you invested when you need it. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you clarified that because I've heard that type of thing said, that not only individuals, but corporations and churches ought to have this much money and savings uh, to, to be able to uh, cover those types of things. So I'm glad you said what you did. Yeah, so in, in allocating your money, that to me, that's the basis, right? Mm -hmm. uh, now, from there, <clears throat> there are different types of, of investments out there, right? There are income investments like bonds, um, treasury notes that pay interest, Mm -hmm. uh, and then there are equity investments, so investments in stocks, and those aren't all created equal either. We've, we've all seen what's happened, for example, in the technology sector over the course of the last probably six months or so. So there are certain stocks like technology stocks that would typically be riskier. Um, there are other stocks which are typically less risky. You might think of um, consumer staple type of stocks 
uh, companies that make food items that everybody's buying at the grocery store every week, um, companies that make some of the cosmetics and other daily necessities that people buy, those are typically going to be less risky mm -hmm. companies. Um, people talk about public utility companies like um, gas and electric companies who generate a um, predictable return. Those would be less risky types of, of stock investments. And so from there, really, as you begin to have an, an amount of money to invest, uh, it's a matter of where you are in life and allocating your money out again between less risky and, and more risky investments. To me, the big rule of thumb is you don't go all in on anything. We've probably all known people who chase the latest thing. Some people get lucky and they make it big. Uh, the vast majority don't and, and, and end up getting left holding the bag. Allocation between different types of investments uh, that match where you are in life is the most prudent way to go. And that's what you brought up earlier. It might be good to have a counselor, somebody who knows the business. Some people who go off on their own think they know they can beat the market. Oftentimes, and most likely, they will not beat the market. In fact, might lose. And it's good to have somebody advise them. Yeah. You know, the, the experienced investment professionals that I talk to, one of the first things they say is, I'm not smart enough to time the market. So I think, you know, when I think about ongoing disciplines for just maintaining good financial health, one of the big things that I would look at is making sure that you're in the habit of saving money on a month to month basis, setting a budget, understanding your inflows and your outflows of money, and having a certain amount of money earmarked um, to savings. I know, you know, one of the things my parents taught me, and they never earned a lot of money, they were at best middle class, if not lower middle class in terms of their economic position. But having grown up the way they did during the Depression, during um, World War II Germany and afterwards, grew up very much with this ethos of no matter how much or how little I earn, I'm going to save a portion of it. Um, and I'm a huge believer. And, and the earlier in life that you can start doing that, uh, the better uh, you're going to be positioned in the long term. Um, there's, there's, there's something that um, people call dollar cost averaging, which is um, one of the best ways for just an individual investor to make it through the ups and downs of the stock market. And, and the view of dollar cost averaging is you take a certain amount of money and you just simply invest it every month um, and you invest it in the same way. Um, and so you might have your allocation. Let's just say for simplicity, you've got three mutual funds and you're going to allocate 20% to a, a bond mutual fund, which will have um, an, an interest rate attached to it, but won't uh, have as much capital appreciation. Perhaps you've got 50% of it that goes into a, a blue chip stock fund, mm -hmm. um, which is going to appreciate, but not be as, as, as dramatic in its ups and downs. And perhaps the other 20 or 30% you put into something that's more aggressive, like a technology fund. Mm -hmm. And if you have those three, and let's just say you can afford to uh, put away $300 a month, and you would allocate every month your $300 across those three funds in those percentages, whatever I said, 20, 50, and 30. And by doing that month after month after month after month, when the market is going down, you're actually getting a chance to buy more. You're buying lower. When the market's going up, you're buying higher. Over the course of time, you're what's called dollar cost averaging because your cost of each investment is sort of an average of the highs and the lows that have gone on during that period of time. And investment studies have shown that you're much better off doing that 
than trying to save up your money and then jump in and buy when something is low mm -hmm. and then wait and not buy when it's high and, and suddenly see it get away from you. Mm -hmm. And just that regular monthly discipline of, of, of investing that way um, can be extremely successful. Right. And in the times we've lived in the last 30, 40 years, actually ever since the end of World War II, it's, it's been the market. Well, the market has always gone up, 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 and up, even uh, recovering from horrible crashes like the crash of um, between World War One and World War Two. But Andy, one thing I'd like you to comment on, I know that so many people now are concerned about the high level of debt this country is in, the conditions of the world, you know, with resources uh, being the way they are, the saving the planet, you know, all this, uh, you know, all these big changes that could very much affect us. And there are those who are sounding an alarm for a big crash coming and then go buy gold and, and, and all that kind of thing. I, I just want, I know that you have to be very cautious in the types of things that you advise, but maybe you could give us a word about some of the alarmists. Sure. Um, so, you know, look, I, you and I, I think, fit in the, the, the same camp. We're pre-millennialists, right? We believe we're living <laughs> in, in a time that precedes the, the coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of, of, of his rule on earth in the millennium. Um, what that carries with it is an understanding and a belief that at some point in time, the, the world, the political system that we see around us today is going to come to an end. Um, I will come to you in the greatest of honesty and tell you I have no idea when that's going to happen. And I think that's something that can be proven biblically that none of us do. Mm -hmm. um, in the meantime, there, there are plenty of places that we can look in the Bible that would tell us we need to be continuing to be good stewards of everything that we've been blessed with. We need to use our resources in a way that's productive, um, that helps our families, that puts us in a position where we can help other people. So I am a huge believer at the core that um, I need to work with what I have and what I know um, and the unknowns that are out there, like when is this world going to come to an end? When is the political system going to fall apart? Is just not something um, that I'm going to try to plan my life around. Um, I'm going to live my life in a way where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm right with God and I have my priorities straight and I'm going to take the things that he's blessed me with in terms of um, financial assets and I'm going to continue to invest those on an ongoing basis um, until God decides that, you know, this this time is over and the next time is coming. Here, here, Andy, thank you very much for that statement. I know that in the theological sphere, people ask the same question, uh, not about money, but about just the end of the age. And Jesus Christ did have a talk to his disciples about that, a very, very direct, very, very honest talk. And he specified the things that would happen. This is my sermon that I gave at the Feast of Tabernacles last year. There's all kinds of terrible, horrible things that will take place. And yet he said, no man knows the day or the hour of the return of Jesus Christ. And there are certain things that have to happen that are still big that have not even, even begun to twitch. So it's still who knows when or how they will manifest themselves. But nonetheless, we, we don't know the time. On the other hand, the chapter following 24 is Matthew 25 talks about things we should be doing right now. We should be preparing ourselves. We should be, in a sense, investing. It talks about people being given different amounts of resources, of pounds, and there to multiply them and to do those things that are working and doing things. 
And also, the third thing is to be be open to people who are very, very unfortunate in this world, you know, the people who need food, clothing, disaster relief, and that type of thing. That should be a part of our thinking. It's a part of our worldview at this time, and that is the Christian worldview. So I'm so glad, Andy, that you stated what you did, because people ask me that question. Yeah, it's 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 an answer everyone wants to have, and none of us ever will. <laughs> <laughs> But, but if we if we take it back to the idea of investing, um, you know, again, the all of the money managers, financial professionals that I've spoken with have said they don't know how to. They're not smart enough to time the market. Sticking with portfolio allocations and tweaking those allocations based on what you see externally and what your needs are in your own life is a good way to go. Um, I personally, and I don't think any responsible investment advisor would tell you it's ever prudent to go all in on X or Y or Z. So, you know, if you're getting advice from somebody to, you know, sell everything and buy gold, you got to make your own decisions. It's certainly not a decision I would ever make. Um, I would, I would change my portfolio allocation um, to perhaps reduce the amount of money that I have in risky assets at certain points in time and increase the percentage of my portfolio that is in less risky assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but again, that that's going to differ very much based on the age group you're in as well. If you're um, if you're a younger person and you've got a 30-year, 40-year investment horizon until retirement, um, I think a lot of financial uh, planners would tell you to continue to um, be invested in stocks and relatively aggressively invested because of the long time horizon. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if you look out on the internet, you can see multiple investing studies that have been done where if you took money and invested at the peak of every stock market cycle in history, you would still have a really good return. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the point being that you know there are ups and downs that might last one, three, five years within the market. But if you look at it as a 10, 20, 30 year trend, it's pretty reliably an upward trend. Mm-hmm. What about... Um debt and the national debt. Uh, There's no way we could repay $33 trillion or whatever. Can you have a comment about how we can live with that or what, how really ultimately that will affect us? Yeah, I I think it's hard. There there are some interesting theories out there about um, the national debt, many of which I don't personally agree with, but I think one that's driven us a lot lately has been this idea of modern monetary theory, which Mm -hmm. is a view that, um, that the country is not like a household where it has to balance its budget. Um, and in fact, a country sort of makes a market for its currency um, and, and therefore can issue as much of it as they want to. Um, there have been you know, advisors. I know the Bernie Sanders campaign had some pretty prominent advisors that were large proponents of modern monetary theory. I think as inflation bites right now, um, there are some people who are rethinking that. Others would say that Actually, things could have recalibrated, but the government didn't have the um, wherewithal or the the number of votes to raise taxes, which it would have had to do to stop inflation. I don't feel great about rising amounts of national debt. I don't think it's good for the country, and I think it's going to continue to put a drag on our our federal budget, especially as interest rates uh, go up. Um, And I'm honestly not sure what exactly the way is going to be out of that. Um, over the long term, unless we can really uh, continue to grow our 
gross domestic product and grow our way out of that um, that deficit. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very, very good to hear that. I know we've talked about that, and it's just good to bring it up here uh, out in the open about uh, what it is and, and how, how that particular view could be taken. One other question I have, and that's dep- that's because of what has been in the news, and I would like to at least have a brief answer from you. Crypto, you know, there's been so much, you know, in the news that's been negative, and people have been driven uh, away from it. There's been corruption, of course, there's been corruption in other things besides crypto, you know, with Ponzi schemes and everything. But can you just make a statement about crypto? Yeah, I, so, you know, the, the ongoing debate about cryptocurrency is, you know, is there really any substance there? And I'm, I'm probably not the best one to say that for certain. A lot of people have been buying it. Um, it's gone down substantially. There's some very interesting technologies. Um, you might know about blockchain technology, which mm-hmm. is what undergirds cryptocurrency. And there's some very interesting applications, real world application for blockchain technology that takes middlemen out of out of the system. You know, people want to look out there at things like DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations that would allow for you know, transactions like ride sharing on Uber and things like that without the friction of a middleman. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things are promises that are out there in the future based on blockchain technology. If those things were to um, come to pass, there could be some real value to it. To see it purely as an alternative to money based on where we sit today, you know, I'm not an expert. It, it It's not looking great today, but who knows how it might look in a while. I guess the one thing I would say categorically about it is what what I've read and, and seen from most financial um, analysts, which is if you're going to invest in it, um, it's something that deserves probably no more than like 1% of your net worth mm-hmm. and, and do it knowing that you're either going to make a lot of money or it's going to turn into zero. Mm-hmm. And it's probably, it's hard to know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those types of investments that's probably either going to double or triple or go to nothing. It's likely not going to stay where it is today. So um, my biggest concern, to be honest with you, Vic, is is seeing a number of people who have uh, jumped in and put significant portions of their net worth. And look, there are people out there who've even borrowed a huge amount of money to buy cryptocurrency oh. and to make that. Some of them have gotten lucky because they, they, they bought early and they were smart when they sold. Um, but again, like all these things, um, the vast majority aren't in such a good spot. And so to me, the big thing is if you find it intriguing, if you find it interesting, great. I think it's really interesting. Um, but um, have have discipline is my recommendation. And I'd follow what the professionals say and not put more than one or two percent of your total net worth into it. I think what you said at the very beginning of this uh, podcast is that the things that we have proven to be decade after decade, safe ways to do things is really the way to go. Because I have seen people invest in Caribbean money, you know, I've seen people invest in uh, different things like even crypto, things that are really unknown, and get very, very badly burned. And and again, it makes me sad to see people lose huge sums of money based on the fact that they would get rich very, very quickly. Yeah, there's something in us that... um... There's something in us that, that likes to think we can be the exception and um, and not have to go through the time and the, the effort uh, that it takes to get a good result. Um, but yeah, for the vast majority, there's always going to be some people getting lucky out there. Um, and 
we tend to focus on them and think that that could be us as well. But uh, the, the tried and true ways of building it piece by piece and being careful and prudent about how you do it is, is that that's a way that um, has been proven for the vast majority of people to be the right way to go in terms of building longer term wealth and financial security. So as we face 2023, I know that my view is I want to be positive uh, because I know that whatever bad things will be out there to happen, the good news is that the kingdom of God will come to an end. The war in Ukraine will ultimately come to an end. Civilization in its horrific ways will come to an end. But God has a plan. And he has a way of helping us to our day-to-day and not live in a fearful, trembling way. I don't think that we're intended to live that way. And I intend to go through 2023 doing a lot of things, you know, doing a lot of things in my life, you know, positively looking and not shrinking back in fear from what might be. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in that uh, too, Vic, as you know. And and to me, it's it's so important that we not get so focused on that external environment that we just get paralyzed and don't do anything. We've all been given something in terms of resources by God that we can use in a in a meaningful and a profitable way for other people. And I think our challenge in life is, whether it's in good times or in bad, keep finding a way to use those resources to enhance the lives of others. And I look on other passages such as, to whom much is given, much is required. And I feel like when I, with all my experience in international areas, we have been given a lot. We have been given a tremendous amount of resources. It, it, not only monetarily, but also with abilities and freedoms and opportunities. And I just feel like I'm going to stick with that advice, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. I'm looking to what needs to come out of me rather than what I need to get inside of me. I think it's a great viewpoint. If, uh, more people had that viewpoint, we'd be accomplishing a lot more in the world today. Andy, it's just been really great talking to you. I really appreciate uh, being able to share some of your thoughts uh, with your experience and with your knowledge of money and also your peers. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Oh, glad to be with you, Vic, and it's always interesting to exchange ideas with you. We thank you, our listeners, for joining us here today for The Cubic Report. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Podbean, which includes information about this podcast, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocketcaster, and other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar by simply typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions. So write to us at thecubic at gmail.com, V-K-U-B-I-K at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.